Today, we are honored to have a good friend of mine joining us. This guest founded and built a healthcare consulting company that eventually grew to over 300 employees before being inquired. He has held titles such as Minister of Happiness, Director of Engagement, Sultan of Smiles, and Chief Endorphin Officer. He currently resides with the title of Coach and Behavior Architect, and he is training as a marriage and family therapist. His proudest accomplishment, though, is being a husband and a father of three with a perfect work-life balance. He is one of the most playful and insightful people I know. Ted German, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks. Thanks, Zach. Great to be here. I'm very excited to get this rolling. So one question that I had for you right off the bat, hearing those roles that you've had, of all the roles you've held, what would you say was the essence of all of them? The essence of all of them. Um, I think the, I, I, I don't know. I, I think at the, all the roles at their best, the through line through all of their roles was I was getting to be myself. Hmm. So I wouldn't say that that was consistently the case across all experiences within each role. But when I was being myself and finding out how to and, and, and nailing how to do that in that given context, it was kind of a magical experience. So, I mean, um, with Blue Tree as the founder of Blue Tree, when I was um, creating a work environment that was really playful, that treated people as humans, as individuals, and kind of anti all the cliche corporate uh, structures and bureaucracy and stuff like that. Um, and modeling being myself and modeling being authentic, super energizing and, and awesome. Um, parenting, that's a pretty, uh, easy context in which to, to be myself. Um, the chief endorphin officer, that was when I led a, was leading a large, um, free fitness movement. Um, and I got to, bring out kind of my improvisational uh, disposition and enjoy that side of kind of leading a big group with a lot of interaction and, and spontaneity and playfulness and energy. Um, so yeah, so I think the, the essence at when those roles were at their best was kind of being authentic. Mm, mm. That's very cool. And <clears throat> I feel that from what I've seen the past year from a very meta view is cult you know culture and how you how you explained how you treat the people and built that environment that's slowly but surely working its way into the mainstream businesses many companies are still behind on that but you know when you started it i don't remember what year it was but was that the way that you showed up as yourself and wanted to treat people as humans not necessarily as corporate pawns however you'd want to say it was that completely accepted right away or how did that work out? Was it easy to just show up and be yourself and it worked well, or was there some resistance initially or throughout it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think once the larger your company gets, uh, the harder it is to maintain that. Um, the, the more risk there is to, um, criticism, scrutiny, and not to say that being yourself means you're being, you know, a jerk, right. But um, you, you, when there are more eyes on you, there's more potential for controversy, conflict, 
And um, some, uh, and so you have to naturally, I think, be more conservative. You ha- you don't have to, but if you don't want to have to deal with offending people or you know, I like uh, all the things that come with with being more uh, uh, with taking more risks, um, then you kind of naturally uh, close off maybe certain parts of yourself or what you want in your company. Um, and, um, and so maybe that's cynical or, or maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be like that, but I guess all that is to say, I think the larger you get, the more of a challenge it is to maintain that culture. Now, that being said, starting off, um, yeah, I think it was really, I think it was very well received. Um, and I think, um, Reggie, who I started Blue Tree with and Jeremy, who essentially became our third co-founder, we all modeled that way of being uh, in, I mean, in the sense that, you know, someone could be an 18 year old intern and they could tell us one of our ideas is stupid. And that's like, you're awesome. That's great. Thanks for telling us our idea. Tell us why. Um, and so there, not to say there was, I think hierarchy is important to some extent, um, but not ego, right? Not um, this uh, uh, sense of kind of deference or, playing out these almost like a, a caste type system, you know, uh, type of culture within a company, I think is, is, it uh, sucks from a company corporate culture standpoint. So all that is to say, I think it was really well received that we're like, Hey, we don't care how much experience you have. We want to hear your ideas. We don't care what your resume looks like. Um, and also like some, what's important. It's important to you to take a day off because A, B, and C has happened in your life. Great. Go do it. Thanks for letting us know what's important to you. So I think it was so refreshing to people. Frankly, I think that's one of the main reasons we were able to be successful. We made a million business mistakes, right? But what we did well was we treated people with dignity and and respect for who they were as individuals. Mm. So especially as a small company, not only was it was it well received, it, it kind of was a differentiator for us. Wow, that's very cool. And something that stuck out to me was... Um, cause I didn't know the, the mindsets of the other founders, uh, you know, until we had this conversation here. So something that stuck out to me was the fact that you were all on the same page with that all saying like, Hey, this is the kind of environment that we want to create. And I think that's probably me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's probably a huge reason why it was accepted and why it went on versus if you were to partner with somebody that would think that's stupid and wasted time and we just need to focus on the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you can have a, you're going to have tension in any important relationship and your co-founders is no exception, but it's sort of like, what is the tension around? Is it around fundamental differences in principles and values or is it around like baggage that you bring because of your personal history uh, and that sort of thing. And, and the latter, you know, it's just like in a, a marriage or friendship, it becomes, you know, stuff signals of, of what you need to work on. And if you answer that call, it can be a very valuable experience. If both parties are willing to work on themselves in that context. Um, but if it's a fundamental difference in, in values um, and kind of like disposition toward what, it, you know, identity as a business or, or as a leader, 
then yeah, that that's a huge, huge red flag. And I think not, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I think that the, the selection process for people looking for a co-founder is so important. And I think oftentimes people might fall in the trap of, oh, we're great friends, so we should start a business. Mm-hmm. Or, wow, someone, there's somebody who believes in me or my business. I'm going to make them my co-founder. And it's this sort of like um, overzealous, like a, a um, rash leap to kind of get married, so to speak, that it usually or always creates problems down the road if it's not more kind of intentional and thoughtful. And you're talking about, and you're really in touch with yourself about why am I partnering with this person? What are the challenges going to be? Can we talk about those proactively and reactively? Um, so anyway, I took us down a rabbit hole, but. That's okay. Rabbit holes are fantastic. So something you mentioned earlier though, is the challenge as the business got grew bigger to focus on that culture piece of it. So yeah. question I was going to bring up later, but it came up now is throughout the culture focused roles you had, what were one or some of the largest fails or learning opportunities that you had? Um, yeah, good question. I think, <laughs> well, so, so this is, this is kind of, you know, what, what stands out to me, and I don't know if this is super instructive, so I'll keep it short. But one time for, uh, this is when we were probably at, I don't know, 300 or so employees. And we had uh, for our team, part of our team annual celebration, we brought everybody together from all around the country. And we hired a professional comedian who did a, a bit, who did a, you know, a, a set for us. And the dude was amazing. It was hilarious. It was so good. But um, Jeremy, our CEO, got a lot of uh, commentary um, and hopefully he's cool with me sharing this. That's okay, whatever. Um, about, you know, the criticism about, about the content. Um, so to me, that was like, wow, we have this culture of playfulness, of lightness, of being willing, being able to joke and realize that we all respect each other. And it's grounded in not, uh, not a culture of bullying or anything like that. But, you know, we, the, the comedian was making fun of people in the audience and stuff like that, you know, in a, not in a terrible way, but the way a comedian does. Um, so anyway, that was kind of a, it was a fail in the sense that here was this thing we thought was going to be perfectly aligned with our culture. And we've upset a lot of people. Um, and I think, um, you know, if there's any, what, what is the lesson in that? I mean, I think the lesson is, um, again, as the bigger you get, you're going to think you're doing everything right. And you're going to alienate people. You're going to upset people. You're going to realize a blind, like one blind spot there was like, oh, maybe there's going to be offensive content in here. And I do acknowledge that I'm not really coming down on the people. It's like, as, as leaders, we fail to take that into account, right? That, that, that might be an issue. So I think there's a, um, appreciating the complexity and just being willing to acknowledge when you made the mistake and look at what you could have done different. And I also think it's okay to be like, I wouldn't do anything different. You know, I think there in, in, in startup world, um, there's a, a greater, greater emphasis to, to kind of embrace failure and acknowledge mistakes, which I think is fantastic. But I think it's also okay to, to stand your ground sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think this, there's almost an overcorrection towards kind of 
bowing down to failure and acknowledging mistakes, um, which I think we can come back a little bit and say, it's also okay for leaders to be like, no, I stand behind what I did. And it, I think it would have been okay if Jeremy wanted to, and to say, no, oh, no, we're going to get a comedian again next year. You're like, it's okay. It's okay to stand your ground sometimes. I mean, it's a bad example because it's not super significant. Um, but yeah, I, that's what I would take from that is, you know, uh, check in with yourself. Don't just go to, as a leader, my advice would be, don't always go to, yes, we'll change. We'll, do, we'll never do that again, unless you mean it. So something I noticed in our conversations in the past, and especially this conversation, is, and your roles, and even the examples that you just shared right there, is your love for human behavior. So where, and that's a common interest of ours, that's why we've developed such a great relationship, I feel, one of the reasons. Where do you feel your love for human behavior even came from in the first place? I mean, many people, when you talk business, they, their mind goes elsewhere. Their mind doesn't think about the people, they think about other things. For you and I, it's very much focused on that human behavior piece. So where do you feel that came from for you? Mm. You know, that's a, that's a good question. And I, I think that uh, to a certain extent, it's impossible to know because our influences are so vast and complex. But I actually do think there is something with, I don't know, uh, uh, having a, a genetic or epigenetic, that's not my realm. So whichever one of those words is correct. Let's go with that. Uh, component to it. I, I mean, my dad was, um, he was a, a he was a, th a psychologist, a therapist. I um, mean, he was actually uh, credited by some people with being the person to make couple therapy a true field, a true science. Um, at the, in this, I want to say like the 60s, 70s, there was a couple counseling going on. It was just sort of people implementing different interventions and, and, and approaches to help couples here and there, but there was nothing, there was no field, there was no uh, aggregation of uh, different approaches and research uh, supporting out, you know, outcomes and certain approaches versus others. So he brought it all together. So all that is to say, you know, as a therapist and, a, and an academic, he was um, prolific in his contributions to the field, but I mentioned that partly because he wasn't maybe what some people think they'd mentioned, oh, a dad or a professor is a psychologist. I can imagine what that looks like. It's like dinner. It's like, how did that make you feel? And stuff like that. It wasn't like that at all. There was no sort of like um, overt, like uh, modeling of being a therapist or an academic, I would say, in our house. So I have to think my natural movement through my life or, or fascination with human behavior and the mind, um, it wasn't pushed on me at all. So I have to imagine a lot of it just came naturally. That being said, I think also, even if it wasn't pushed on me, there's modeling that goes on when people have a certain disposition and a certain fascination. And I think um, both my parents were so, uh, my dad from more academic and in a clinical standpoint, um, and my mom just being very social and um, interpersonally oriented and engaging and playful. Uh, and my dad very playful too. I think, yeah, so nature, nurture, man, it's always a combo. Um, but even as, I mean, as a 
undergrad in the late nineties, I, I was thinking about going into therapy and something my dad said actually scared me away from it, which is interesting. He said something like, do you really want to sit with patients all day? And, and, you know, and I think he was, I don't know what, what he was trying to protect me from, but uh, I guess the answer is no, I don't, but I want to do it part of every day, I think. So that's why I've got to come, come back to it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I think it's a combo. That's cool that you were interested in that, <clears throat> you know, during your undergrad and now come full circle years later, after you've done other things and gone through in the business world, now you're really completing that circle, which is really cool to see. And even seeing your route going from business founder to coach, now heading into family therapy, like that's a route you don't see often I, right. from my perspective, which is super cool. So what is the right now? top of mind for you, what is the most fascinating area of human behavior right now for you? I think I can't really choose just one, but I will say the two, two things I'm really interested in right now is one, I'm really excited to work with couples and one of the reasons is I think couples are, and, and you can say this really the same for founders, um, anybody who's kind of tied together in a, in a significant intimate way, um, couples are kind of the ultimate place for potential growth and also exposing everything you need to work on. And again, and, 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 and my co-founder and I, you know, we, we fought and treated each other poorly, you know, in a way a lot of married couples did, you know, and, and do, unfortunately. Um, so, um, but I think, I think couple, couples are fascinating because, um, because they, 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 they pull out, they draw out everything you need to work on. Um, and I think that, you know, if, you, for some, if someone doesn't want to be in a long-term relationship, of course, that's fine. But if you do, that's a, it's an amazing place to start to uncover all of your crap. And then I think um, once you have a, once the relationship is strong enough that it not only doesn't get in your way, but actually fuels your creativity and your growth. And it becomes a, it's not like you don't have conflict, but the conflict becomes a, a catalyst for more growth and change. And you figure you kind of crack that code as a couple of how to make it this source of, of positivity and of growth rather than this thing that keeps pulling you down. Um, now you have this, you're, you've, you've tapped in this almost infinite potential for growth. And, you know, I think growth can only come through feedback and through, through good data. So if you're with somebody and you don't talk about any of the stuff that's going on between you and you're unwilling to hear feedback about how you are in a relationship or about what they, that person who sees you probably more than anybody, what they see about you that you need to work on. If you're not willing to touch any of that, you're not going to reach anywhere near your full potential. But once you can incorporate all that, now you've got this feedback machine where you're vulnerable and you're open to it and your growth in business as a friend, as a parent in every category is going to skyrocket. So I think for people who are in a long-term relationship, or a committed relationship, whether it's a, a founder or a, or a romantic relationship, that is the, that is an unparalleled potential for, you know, for growth in, in that space. 
Um, I think the other one we're just worth mentioning is, you know, psychedelics. We've seen so much incredible research lately with Johns Hopkins and there's a USONA Institute here in Madison's doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, but the potential for things like psilocybin or mushrooms um, to ha have just game-changing impact on mental health and people's lives. And, and even with, there've been studies with, um, with high performing academics and, and professionals giving them, in some cases, I think microdosing, you know, I, I'm not going to quote the direct studies here, directly quote the studies here, but different, different, um, in some cases, very significant doses of some of these hallucinogens and their ability to solve problems is just like off the charts. So I think the, the more we, we move away from these, um, uh, kind of absurd, uh, social, uh, reactions to, to things like, like psilocybin and start to realize that, yeah, they can be dangerous when used incorrectly or poorly in the wrong environment, but when used in a, in a, in a healthy, safe environment to the potential to heal, you know, trauma and to, and to crack the code on some, ch you know, challenges of innovation is immense. So I'm excited for that. And I think that that'll play into kind of the next big, perhaps the next big shift in psychotherapy and in mental health will be the incorporation and creative application of of these things. Um, and I think addiction is more and more relates to that Addic addiction is, is becoming a bigger, and bigger problem. My concern is particularly with tech, tech addiction, screen addiction, uh, the, the way the news is just kind of, a uh, pumps out every, every title they can to create shock and disgust because that's what pulls people back in social media. It's all, you know, I really recommend the work of Tristan Harris. If you want to look into, into, into this kind of thing, but we're getting to a point where, you know, um, there, I think there needs to be a, a kind of a spiritual awakening to, and, and some kind of, uh, antidote to the level of kind of mind control that a lot of these huge corporations like, uh, YouTube and, and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok are ex exerting on, on people. And I think, I think things like psychedelics in the right way could be one of the gateways to breaking free from uh, these addictions and the sort of like the pickle we're in with uh, um, being, you know, heavily influenced by these multi, you know, trillion dollar companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, there's a couple of notes that I took while you were talking there. The first piece backing up a little bit was the marriage piece that, that really stuck out to me because the, how you said you're fascinated about, couples because so much comes up there. I, in my past, I used to think, oh my gosh, you know, a marriage a relationship, when is, it's just gotta be like perfect, you know, and well, it just gotta flow and it's gotta roll. And it wasn't until good amount of work and focus on it that I really realized, holy crap, no, we all have these things, like the stuff with inside of us, whether that's childhood trauma or whether that's certain perspectives on the world or certain experiences that define our values and things like that. And a, a relationship, whether it be, like you said, an intimate relationship, whether it be a founder or some kind of business partner or in a um, relationship, a couple that just, that if you have the right framework for it, if you look at it going like, wow, 
this is really a great opportunity to one, become closer with this people, this person, because when you go through that stuff in a positive manner, you become extremely close to this person. But two is to tap into, yeah, that higher potential of who you can be because it will be drawn out. Those, I I don't want to use the word weaknesses, but those pieces that maybe those unconscious pieces that you didn't know were there or that could be limiting you, those are drawn out. There's no way around that. And that's the cool part. Unless, like you said, it's there's no data, unless you just keep it, suppress it, which <clears throat> doesn't help anyone. And right. the other piece um, was the, the, the those big companies. And I was just funny. I was just talking to a client this week about this exact same thing and how how if we ask people, like if you ask people, what do you want in life? Like what's important to you? What do you really want? Majority of the time, one, they haven't really taken the time to really think about it. But two, you see so many parallels be- um, with what everyone wants. And this specific client that I was working with, um, we actually had a week journaling, um, journaling exercise where he went and just turned off his phone, spent many hours just journaling. What do I want? What do I want? What do I want? And he said, that was one of the best exercises we've ever done because what I realized is how heavily influenced I am by large companies, by social media, all these things. I realized that, oh, I want that. Wow. It's because that's been showing up in my Instagram feed a lot. I actually never wanted that. And right. it's, it's mind blowing how the, these large businesses have been able to <clears throat> understand this piece, this human behavior piece and treat it like treat their marketing in a psychological way, which is mind blowing. Totally. Well, a lot of, I don't know if you've heard the, the phrase, a race to the bottom of the brainstem, um, really what it is. So I, I, I heard recently that, um, TikTok, I think it's TikTok has now has a 2% filter. They're, they're non-filter for, for videos or, or for pictures, I guess. Um, I don't, clearly, I know nothing about TikTok, right? <laughs> but their, their no filter is still 2%. So because what they want to do is they want you to feel slightly better about your, your self-image, right? In an imperceptible way, a way you're an unconscious way, but like, yeah, I look better on TikTok, so I want to spend more time on TikTok, right? So these companies know that if they want to compete at this game, they have to basically, they have, if they don't, maximize how much they're manipulating you based on your, your, you know, your limbic system, um, then other companies will, so they're going to lose. So it's, it becomes a race to who can be more kind of can be craftier in how they take advantage of your brain. Um, and the billions of dollars, you know, put into, into perfecting that is just way smarter and more advanced than our limbic systems that are about survival and fear and, and, you know, and emotion and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So people are like, ah, it doesn't affect me. It's like, it does, unless you've, unless you're really conscious, unless you've cultivated a practice of being aware of how you're responding, of shutting things, you know, of of limiting your access to or exposure to to certain apps and devices and stuff like that, it is having an impact. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a little disturbing, but I think, you know, it's either the brink of the apocalypse or of a reawakening and, uh, and some kind of a revolution of sorts. So, you know, hopefully, 
hopefully the latter. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's so fascinating to see how there's some people that really see what's all going into it. But also, like you mentioned, in, you know, it's not like these are evil people, you know, but most times people are like, oh, well, we have to compete. We have to, you know, like if we want to, if we want this company to survive, is I guess this is the game we have to play. And mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure many of them are like, I don't love this, but hey, you know what? They, they make it work for them in their head somehow. Um, and I feel like speaking of rabbit holes, I feel like this is a topic that we could run down and maybe we'll schedule another one so we can go yeah, down this because it's such sure. a fascinating thing. And I think that it's so relevant to anyone listening because everyone now is surrounded by social media and market. I mean, we've been surrounded by marketing and ads for many, many years, but now it's, it, it went from billboards and magazines to in your face all the time. Mm-hmm. Any apps you're using, especially social media, that everybody's on, there's always ads on there and there's always people that are posing certain lifestyles and things like that. So it's, it's this constant stream of external influences. So mm-hmm. I think we should definitely schedule a time to another time to uh, jump deeper into that specific piece, but I know so, you have to get going here. Go ahead. I, I, I want to make one comment on that, which I think is my, uh, I don't know if running hypothesis is the best way to say it, but the way I'm seeing it right now is the heart of all, all, everything we're talking about is fear. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're not evil people. Yeah. I don't really believe you know, outside of very tiny percentage of the population in the whole like evil people thing. Um, it's sort of what is being drawn out uh, of an individual, what behaviors, is it kind of malevolence or, or, or benevolence? But you talk about these tech companies, are the evil people? No, but they're probably driven by fear, fear that they're going to fail in their, you know, lose market share, you know, fear. Um, you know, it's amazing what fear, how powerful fear is. And fear can lead to rationalizations. It's like, oh, well, they're going to use Netflix anyway. So it's okay if I manipulate them with uh, this, you know, YouTube uh, feature that, that we're rolling out because someone else is going to manipulate it instead, right? So there's, it's so easy to rationalize um, out, of, out of some kind of fear. And part of that fear could be um, fear of worthiness, right? So it's like, if I'm the CEO of a, a huge company and I want to compete, it's like, I don't want to... I don't want my company to fail or fall behind because then what does that mean about who I am? I'm afraid of how I'm perceived. I'm afraid to be, you know, for my, for my image to be diminished. Um, and so, and, and that's again, why I think um, coming back to kind of a couple work my working with couples and psychedelics is that I think the, those kinds of, um, of pathways to exploration almost always come back to fear on some level. And so when a couple's fighting, it's like, you're, you're afraid of something. Hmm. You're afraid of something. Um, it could be af- afraid of, of not being loved, afraid of being isolated, whatever. Um, when, you know, and, and so I, I think uh, a, can I swear on this podcast? Can we do swear? Yes, you may. <laughs> like, um, like a psychedelics will sort of like, often can free you from being able to bullshit yourself. And I think that is valuable because then it's like, oh, I'm doing this out of fear. Oh, I'm doing this because I'm obsessed with this idea of people seeing me a certain way. So it kind of lifts a veil that you can't ever put back on to a certain extent. 
And if you do that in a, in a, in a, in a safe environment, that can be huge for moving oneself forward as an individual, but also as a society. I can't lie to myself. Like, I think if you had all these tech giants go through that process, I would hope that, you know, a lot of them would come to the realization. It's like, wow, I can't rationalize this anymore. I can't rationalize. Like, it's not worth my self-image to do this damage to society. I can't unsee that. Um, and I think again, you know, and so, so to me, it's like, what's most fascinating to me is places where I can really understand and connect with an individual human, but also in a way that has this significant socio-cultural impact at, a, at scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I even, <clears throat> I've heard many people, um, many of my friends talk about the psychedelic experiences. And one of the largest things is what you mentioned is just this completely different awareness of the connection that we all have as humans here in this world and just yeah that's that's the largest piece that i that i've heard and they're like yeah once you once you have that you can't see it i actually went through a, an event we were talking prior to jumping on here went to an event this past week it wasn't a psychedelic experience but there were certain things that came up in my awareness in one of them in a big way is the different ways that i would be selfish or self self-focused or self-centered in how I look at the world or how I look at certain things. And those kinds of things, the big things that I un unveiled, I feel they're like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Similar to what you're saying there. And even the fear that you mentioned with these, these um, possibly executives and CEOs, it could simply be the fear of, I don't want my kids to not go to Harvard or, you know, like I, there could be plenty of that stuff too. There's just so much of that fear involved. And I, okay, I, we are, I'm saying it now, we are booking another time to talk more about this because this is, yeah. this is juicy. So as we conclude here, what I like to do is just add, ask some rapid fire questions. So gut responses, ask them quick, and then we'll wrap up and get you out the door. So first one is if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message to a ton of people, what would it say and why? Oh my God. That's like, uh, okay. I've asked people that before. <laughs> I've answered it before. Um, um, I would, it would probably say, well, I was going to say, let it go. It would probably say, let it go. But then like people might start like being like, let it go, you know, and it might, it has too much of a frozen vibe to it. Um, <laughs> But I, I'll just go with that for now, because I think that, you know, so much of, I think it's, it's a little, it's, it's ambiguous enough that people might be like, what does that mean? And it's not, it's, it, and so I think it's might stay with people a little bit more uh, than, than maybe a more direct kind of piece of advice or something like that. Um, so, uh, but, so I think that I, I like it in that regard, but also just like so much of what we suffer. I mean, from a Buddhist standpoint, it's like everything is a result of clinging, you know, everything is all of attachment. And I think just let it go. You know, it's just like, we, we, we try to swim upstream so much and go against the current and just like turn around and float. It's a pretty good time. And this is advice for myself too, that I have to keep coming back to. So let it go. What is one action you advise people to do in their new near future for them to become successful in their own right? One action. Um, 
I would say man, these are good questions. You know, and this is not just a plug for me or you, but I would say if you haven't ever, if you haven't done it before, find a good coach or a therapist and talk about things that you've if there's anything you've never been comfortable talking about, uh, challenge yourself to start talking about those things. Ooh, that's I would say general, the general kind of headline for that is get a, put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. That's pretty cliche, but I think that's, that's a, that's a very good specific uncomfortable situation for a lot of people. Wonderful. I, I would second that. Definitely. That's where I've felt the most growth has happened the more. And on the other side, it can be ugly, but on the other side, it's a lot more exciting. So any last words? I have two more questions after this, but any last words you have for the audience? I know this is fun. Yeah. Like we, this, this could be like a four hour thing. So we'll just, uh, no need to force any last words. We'll, we'll get back to it soon. Okay. That's awesome. So where can they find you? I'll put, I'll put your website in the show notes so people can see it. But if people are listening, where could they find you online or give yeah, your address? Yeah. So people at can visit your front door. Life, this, yeah. This comes to, don't come to my house, please. <laughs> um, this, and this is something we didn't really get into at all uh, this time, but um, you know, I think there's some study, I think it was like a, uh, a Pew study or something like that said something like 49% of men wish they worked less uh, like maybe men who have married with children or something like that. And, um, and I, this is a, from a privileged standpoint that, that I don't have to work, you know, long, long hours right now. And I acknowledge that and appreciate that. But I think there are a lot of people who are in that position where they don't have to, and they do. Um, I, what was the original question? I completely lost. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people find me? So, wow. You're like, wow. How is this answering that question? It will. The answer to the question is like, I, at like three o'clock, I completely shut down. I'm in family mode every day and my work-life balance. And if people want to work 80 hours a week, that's awesome. Go for it. But um, I fully embraced a balance that works for me. So all that is to say, I don't have any social media going on right now. Um, you can't find me anywhere, but if you want to talk, you know, email me or contact me via my website but if you're looking for content, you're not going to get any for probably a few years. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That even tags on again, enforces that work-life balance that you mentioned you have dialed in that you love. So wonderful. And what is your website so people know? TedGerman.com. T-E-D-G-U-R-M-A-N.com, right? Yes. Wonderful. Last updated 2018. <laughs> I like the 10 second website that you have to the button for that. You'll have, oh, yeah. to all, you'll have to all go visit to see it. So the last question for you is what is your definition of success? Oh, this, this is a really tough one. How much I have six minutes to answer this. Okay, great. So I'm going to answer in a few, a few different ways. One, I would say um, falling in love with the, being in love with the process of your life. Um, I think especially if people are kind of like success, like very driven, success oriented, whatever that means for them. There's an if only fallacy where like, oh man, if I just become a CEO of a 500 person company, if I just make $3 million, whatever, then I'll be, feel really accomplished. I'll feel successful. I'll, I'll have, I'll be at, you know, the top of the mountain. And, um, I, and, and so it's not to say don't set goals. Setting goals is fantastic. Set whatever goals you want. 
but if you don't know how to do the process in a way that energizes you, guess what? When you're super rich and you have your huge company and the relationship of your dreams, whatever, you're still not going to know how to be present. And so it doesn't mean enjoying everything. It doesn't mean never doing anything that's uncomfortable or challenging. But if you don't know how to really love the day-to-day of your life, you're always going to have, oh, once I get this, it's going to go, it, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be at peace, whatever it is. Um, I found that, you know, like when uh, ha- having, you know, achieved some financial freedom from selling a company, I'm not going to lie. It's awesome. I love that I have freedom with my time and stuff like that, but you're still human. You still are, you're still going to deal with sickness and conflict and fear of death. You know, we're all going to die. I don't know if I, hopefully you knew that. So it's not a surprise. <laughs> there are all these existential weights that are upon our shoulders that, and, and he, part of the human condition that don't go away no matter what. And if you don't know how to deal with that stuff, you're just not going to know just by making a bunch of money or whatever. So I think that's kind of where a good therapist, a good coach comes in. Um, but if you don't love the pro love the process and, and the day to day, then that's, a, I think that success is being able to love that process, whatever it is. And it can be loving how hard it is, right? You'd be like, this sucks and I'm going to learn from it. And I love the challenge of it, but yeah, so I'll, I'll leave that there. The other, I think another way of saying that is success is embodying your values moment to moment, day to day. Uh, so uh, for me, you know, being playful, being curious, being connected, um, and think of values as kind of actions, action, action oriented ways of being. Um, I think you're successful if you're doing those things and you're going to achieve your goals probably, or you can achieve things that maybe you didn't initially set out for, but they're even better than your goals if you're being who you want to be moment to moment. So again, we have way too much of a focus in our culture on outcome, on achieving an end, a means to an end type of thing. So both of those two kind of hit on that process. Um, The last thing I would say, what is success is when you're at that intersection of, you almost don't know the difference anymore between selfish and altruistic. So, and I think it ties in the others that when you're, when you're living your values, like right now, I, I um, absolutely love parenting. I love being a, a, a husband and working on myself as a partner. I love training to be a therapist. I love coaching. Um, and I get to be myself in all of those. And I get to, when I'm at my best, right? Like give back and contribute as the best possible partner, parent, therapist, coach I can be. And so there's really no difference. I think if, when, it's, when you're just giving of yourself, that's not success because maybe you're doing things you don't want to do, or you're doing things because you want people to see you a certain way, or you want to be, Oh good. I'm a caring person. You want to be able to see yourself in a certain way. And that's very depleting and not sustainable. And then the flip side of course is like, I just want to make a bunch of money and be, you know, be a big deal and blah, blah, blah. And I don't really care what I'm creating, what service I'm providing. And that doesn't, that's, that's going to be an empty experience ultimately, I think. So it's that intersection where it's like, wow, I'm being really selfish and giving at, kind of at a maximum level potential I can. Um, and I'm not saying I'm there, but trying to push toward that path. To me, that's like ultimate success. Absolutely wonderful. And as you were talking, I was even thinking, I'm like, yeah, let's schedule one more. I'm like, you and I could just do a podcast with the two of us chatting back and forth. Let's do and it, maybe, man. That's, maybe that's something we get into. So thank well, you. Ted yeah, and that, that's the thing. And not just keep going, but I'm going to keep going. This is my, this is just to emphasize the point. Yeah. This is the, 
this is my values, right? Like I like sharing ideas that hopefully help people. I like the improv of a conversation, the curiosity. So this is a perfect example. This is why we could do this because it aligns with our values. It's super rewarding for us in and of itself, but also gives back hopefully. So anyway. <laughs> and yes, I know this is value. Like you said, you have that work-life balance dialed in and you say no to a lot of things. And this is something that just live through your values and something you'd be excited to do again. And same with me, my friend. So Ted German, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your playfulness. I think that's one piece that a lot of people can really benefit from just simply listening to this and being able to laugh and chuckle a little bit. That'll be a, that'd be worth it in itself. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I, it's my pleasure. I always love our convos and yeah, man, we could do, we could do one on each one of these topics. You know, we'll never run out of material. So Looking forward to talking again soon, man. Definitely. And for all of you listening, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time.